Hey everyone, Sabal Khair, Misael Khair, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, depending on where you are listening to this latest episode of the Egypt Travel Podcast from. I'm your faithful host, John, who is always excited and pumped up to talk about Egypt with you and share my nearly two decades of experience traveling to and around Egypt with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of friends, guests, clients, and even total strangers from afar who have become good friends over the years of us traveling in Egypt together. Okay, in this episode, I want to talk about taking a second or even a third trip to Egypt. In other words, for those of you who have already visited Egypt once and want to go back again, lucky you, how should you think about the trip? How should you think about where to consider visiting, what to consider doing? I want to give you planning advice, talk about things that most people wouldn't have an opportunity to do necessarily on a first trip, and so on and so on. You know, there are just so many things to see and do in Egypt that it's literally impossible to fit them all in on a first trip there. The overwhelming majority of people who visit Egypt only do so once in their lives, and that is understandable, of course. It's a big trip. It's far away. But it's difficult to navigate and get around Egypt, and you really need to be under the helping hand and guidance of a good company to set everything up for you and provide a trusted staff and trusted network on the ground to help you out throughout a trip to Egypt. It's a big endeavor, and it's a big trip. So it's understandable why most people only get to go or only make it there once in their lives. Now, on a first trip to Egypt, there are some major sites that are, of course, must-see sites. We're talking about the Giza Pyramids compound outside of Cairo, which contains the Great Pyramid of Khufu, most notably, because it's the only remaining wonder of the ancient world. The only wonder of the ancient world still standing. It also has two additional pyramids, that of Khafre and Menkare, and even six smaller Queen's Pyramids, which are mostly in ruins, but they're still discernible and nearly as famous as the Great Pyramid is, of course, the Sphinx. All of that is out there at the Giza Pyramids compound. Now, by the way, I sometimes call the Sphinx at Giza the Great Sphinx to distinguish it from other Sphinxes. There are many, many Sphinxes still standing in Egypt, mostly at temples in the south in and around Luxor. But because the one left standing at Giza is both much more massive and much more well-known, I like to give it a little gravitas that I think it deserves by referring to it as the Great Sphinx. Just so that you know that I'm always talking about the one at Giza when I say that and not another Sphinx in Luxor or at another site somewhere. Because there are more Sphinxes around Egypt. The same is the case with many other monuments. You know, a lot of people don't realize that there are more than one of them all over Egypt. Everybody knows the Three Kings Pyramids at Giza, for example. Some people know also about the equally interesting and significant pyramids about a half an hour south of Giza at Saqqara, where the Step Pyramid is, and Dashur, where the Bent Pyramid and Red Pyramid are located. But most don't know that there are about a hundred other pyramids still standing in Egypt today. And, you know, who knows how many more there were in antiquity that have either crumbled or had their stones recycled over the past 5,000 years and so on. Well, it's the same case with other types of monuments, with sphinxes, with temples, with tombs. 
Most people know about the famous ones, usually because they're the largest ones left standing or the best preserved ones that we still have. But there are countless other examples of things like sphinxes, tombs, temples, monuments, etc. still standing in Egypt too that many people have never heard of and many more that no longer exist but which were much larger and even more significant ones than the ones we are left with, which are still plenty magnificent and, and grand and impressive, don't get me wrong. For example, the mortuary temples of the pharaohs Amenhotep III and Ramses II no longer exist, okay? The remains of these temples have been found and excavations are ongoing, but these were two of the richest, most powerful, greatest pharaohs in 5,000 years of Egyptian history. You can only imagine how enormous and splendid their flagship temples were in their ancient capital cities near the site of modern-day Luxor. People often associate the temples at Abu Simbel with Ramses II because they're the most well-known and well-preserved of his temples still remaining. But as enormous and impressive as Abu Simbel's temples are, these were just a couple of the smaller satellite temples on the far remote borders of the empire in the south compared with his much more massive and glamorous flagship temple in his capital. Now, I mention all of this for the first point I want to talk about today with respect to planning a second or subsequent trip to Egypt, and that is that there are a lot of additional historical and highly significant sites to see beyond just the main ones and the most famous ones that you should make sure you see on a first trip to Egypt. If you're into ancient Egyptian history, you could plan a visit out to the pyramid at Medun, for example, which is also south of Giza but which most people doing a first trip to Egypt just don't have time to see. And especially if they're also fitting in, you know, like Giza, Saqqara, Dashur. Most people see Giza. Well, everyone sees Giza. Most people see Saqqara and Dashur. Even people who see those, very few of them see the pyramid at Maidun nearby. You know, so that's an example of one that you probably don't have time to see on a first trip to Egypt, but on a second or third trip, you could make time to go see that one and a few others and really see some more parts of Egyptian history in that greater Cairo Giza area that most other people just will never get to see. You could also return to Saqqara and spend some more time exploring the tombs there. Saqqara wasn't just the site of the Step Pyramid, but it was really an entire royal necropolis, much like the Valley of the Kings in Luxor. But most people who visit Saqqara only have time to see the Steppe Pyramid, and then they head further south to Dashur to see the Red and Bent Pyramids. However, there is a lot more to see at Saqqara, including some of the well-preserved tombs and chambers that have been excavated, and some very recently, by the way, and, and, and that are opening to the public now. I talked a little bit more on EgyptTravelBlog.com recently about some of the new discoveries and excavations that have been going on. I mean, literally, it seems like every month new discoveries are coming out of Saqqara. So if you're interested in a little bit more about what's been discovered recently and what they've been pulling out of the ground there, including some coffins, some sarcophagi that haven't been opened for three, 4,000 years, that weren't touched or discovered by tomb robbers. They literally have been opening them for the first time in the past couple of months in 3,000 years, since they were first sealed 3,000 years ago. Anyway, go to egypttravelblog.com and check out some of the articles I've posted recently on those discoveries if you're more interested in that. 
But point being, Saqqara is also a very active archaeological site. Now, down in the south of Egypt, let's move down further south now. Let's let's go down towards Luxor, Aswan, that area. We'll talk about some things down there. So down in the south of Egypt, first-time visitors usually rightly concentrate on visiting the Valley of the Kings, Hatshepsut's Temple, Karnak, and Luxor temples. All those are in and around the city of Luxor in southern Egypt. But for those who have already seen those sites, you might consider using Luxor as a base to explore some other sites down in the south that are a little bit further out. A good example of that is the city of Abydos, which is about, it's a city about three hours north of Luxor, where some of Egypt's earliest confirmed pharaohs from the early dynastic period are believed to have been buried. Abydos was also a cultural center later during the Middle Kingdom period, and after Egyptians mastered temple and monument building, Abydos had quite a few temples that were built there, but the best preserved remaining one is the temple of the pharaoh Seti I. Few people actually venture up to Abydos to see this temple, so it's likely that if you go, you may actually have it or temples in this area all to yourself. There are other, there are some other nearby sites and ruins in Abydos as well, by the way. But if you if you're able to make it up to those, you might actually have these sites all to yourself, which is a rarity in Egypt, especially well, not so much for this past year. But as tourism starts returning, and it already is starting to pick up a lot, at least the bookings for the latter half of 2021 and even 2022, they are picking up a lot. So you're not going to have many opportunities in the future to have sites in Egypt to yourself like you would either if you're going, you know, sort of now. Or if you go to some of these more out-of-the-way places in Egypt, like Abydos. Another temple to the north of Luxor, it's actually between Abydos and Luxor, is the temple at a city called Dendera. And this is the site of another set of temples that very few tourists go visit. There's a Ptolemaic-era temple of Hathor there in Dendera. And it's one of the best-preserved temples in Egypt. And it's one of the few places in Egypt that still has clear original depictions of Cleopatra VII. Now remember, she's the famous one. You know, the Cleopatra we all know about is Cleopatra VII. There were six other Cleopatras before her. She was the last one and the most famous one. She just happened to be the seventh one. And you can also see depictions of one of her children, Caesarian, who, if you remember the history surrounding Cleopatra, Caesarian was fathered by Julius Caesar right before Rome conquered Egypt and ended the ancient civilization. So at the temple at Dendera, one of the last few places you can actually see uh, ancient references to the famous Cleopatra and her son, Caesarian, the son of the son that she had with Julius Caesar. There are also a few cities south of Luxor, which those traveling between Aswan and Luxor often stop at, or at least one of them, but which a lot of first-time visitors still don't see. And those are, of course, the temples uh, located in the cities of Edfu and Komombo, between Luxor and Aswan. The one at Edfu was dedicated primarily to the god Horus, who was also the god of the sky, by the way, which you may recognize if you've ever seen or flown Egypt's national airline, Egypt Air. 
Um, Horus is the symbol of Egypt Air. He's painted on the planes. He's on all of the boarding passes. So you may recognize Horus if you know or have flown Egypt Air. Horus is the god of the sky and the primary um, beneficiary of the temple at Edfu. And now sometimes this, re- this temple is referred to actually as the temple of Horus and Hathor because Hathor is also commemorated at the temple at Edfu alongside of Horus. Now, the temple that remains standing at the city of Komombo, which is a little bit south of, um, of Edfu on your way to Aswan if you're coming from Luxor, that temple at Komombo was dedicated to the gods Sobek and Haroasis. And it's actually two temples in one because the classic parts or elements of the ancient temple, like the sanctuary, were actually built twice within the temple complex. One dedicated to Sobek, one dedicated to Haroasis. So this is actually a temple that's two temples in one with, and not just one temple dedicated to two gods, but two actual temples dedicated to two separate gods in one massive temple complex. Well, it's not that massive, but uh, in one enclosed temple complex. Now, the god Sobek is actually really unique because he was the crocodile god, and he protected the ancients from the wild dangers that lurked in the Nile back then, uh, like crocodiles. And he also he also helped with fertility, although don't ask me how those two are related. But anyway, he appears in carvings and statuary as having the head of a crocodile, which makes him look quite fierce, if you ask me, and, and really unique among the gods. And and on this theme, by the way, there's also a small crocodile mummy museum in Komombo as well. The crocodiles in there are enormous and they're ancient and they're really kind of scary looking. But don't worry if this is making you start to think that, oh, are there crocodiles in the Nile around here? No, no, no. The damming of the Nile pushed the river's crocodile population further upstream into Lake Nasser, south of the Aswan High Dam. So anywhere north of the dam, which is really Aswan all the way north to the Mediterranean, none of that part of the Nile um, has any crocodiles anymore, so you don't have to worry. So Sobek's all but out of a job for now, except for, I guess, his role in fertility. Okay, for those with limited time who need to choose between stopping in Edfu or Komombo or visiting Edfu or Komombo, I almost always recommend Edfu because the temple there is better preserved. The only exception is, I would say, for those who are in the medical field or who are interested in ancient medicine, because Komombo is one of the few places that actually has a hieroglyphic scene on the walls of the temple that shows ancient medical and surgical instruments. Some of the depictions would look rather medieval to us today, to be honest. Although it's funny that we would say, you know, something in ancient Egypt looked medieval, but we associate sort of rudimentary technology, rudimentary instruments like that with medieval times. Anyway, maybe we should associate it more with ancient Egyptian times since they had them thousands of years prior to medieval times. Anyway, the interesting thing is some of them would actually look still quite recognizable to modern nurses and doctors and surgeons, including instruments that, for example, almost exactly resemble modern forceps and clamps that are still used in some medical procedures today. Now, okay, since we're down in that area, let's talk for a minute about Aswan and Abu Simbel. Many people do visit these places on a first trip to Egypt, but many also don't. Abu Simbel is very far south in Egypt, down by the border with Sudan almost. It's quite, uh, or it can be quite expensive and somewhat logistically cumbersome to do Abu Simbel as a day trip by air, which is of course the most comfortable and quickest way, 
because you always have to connect in Aswan. You can't just fly directly from Cairo to Abu Simbel. Well, unless you want to charter a private jet. Let me know about that because we can make that happen. But, you know, anybody who wants to fly by air, pretty or Egypt Air pretty much has to fly through Aswan. So, you know, the, the tickets are quite expensive because you're doing a double trip there. And then, you know, return, obviously. So most people who do visit Aswan, or sorry, who visit Abu Simbel, you know, end up staying in Aswan anyway an extra day just to, to, to make the Abu Simbel trip happen because it, it, it takes more, it's more than a day trip from Cairo. It's really a day trip from Aswan. And then while you're down in Aswan, you need like an extra day at least also because you have to leave so early to get to Abu Simbel. So anyway. Aswan by itself, by the way, is it's really not all that remarkable for first time visitors. You know, like I said, most people who go to Aswan are doing it because they're doing Abu Simbel because it's the standard, you know, like I said, the standard launch point for that day trip to Abu Simbel, whether by air or by land. And in fact, it's pretty rare that a visitor would go to Aswan on a first trip without also going to Abu Simbel. But it does happen. Some people do go to Aswan and don't do the trip down to Abu Simbel and they just want to see Aswan. But anyway, if you've ever been to Egypt before and you didn't make it to either Aswan or Abu Simbel, they're probably the most famous places in Egypt after Cairo, Giza, and Luxor. So checking those off on your places to visit in Egypt list the next time could be well worth it for you. In fact, I'd really advise it. If you didn't see those the first time, you should definitely see them the second time. Also, Aswan is really a place where you can even spend two or three days on a second trip if you want. There are some additional things around there that can be worth your time exploring if you have the extra time. Let's see, one thing that I often recommend skipping on a first trip in Aswan is the Temple of Isis at Philae, which is actually currently located on Angelica Island, but we still say it Philae because it was originally on Philae Island and it was originally built as the Temple of Isis at Philae. Now, that's one of the temples that was cut into massive pieces and moved, physically moved, block by block in the 60s to save it from the rising waters of Lake Nasser that was created by the construction of the Aswan High Dam. You may remember me talking about this. Abu Simbel is the most famous temple that was cut into blocks and moved because it would have been submerged in the waters of Lake Nasser after the dam construction. The Temple of Isis at Philae, which is just south of Aswan, is another one that was just so significant that they decided to literally cut this massive temple into manageable blocks and move it block by block to another island that was a little bit higher where it still stands today and is able to be visited. But anyway, that's actually not what makes Philae Temple, uh, we often now just call it Philae Temple. That's actually not the only thing that makes it significant. In my opinion, Philae Temple is significant because the wall in a section of this temple is the last place where the ancient Egyptian language is ever known to have been used and written before it died out nearly 2,000 years ago. The inscription that you can see is actually graffiti that was written on the temple wall in 394 AD. And it gets even more specific than that because the ancient graffiti artist references a festival that was taking place on that day that he was writing. And he uses he references it using the Coptic calendar, which we still happen to know how to translate today because the Coptic sect of the Christian religion continues. And we still know how to translate references to the Coptic calendar even, uh, even back then. 
So we can even tell that the guy who wrote this graffiti in hieroglyphics on the temple wall at Philae did so on August 24th, 394 AD. And that is the last time anybody today knows of the hieroglyphic language being used. August 24th, 394 AD. That's pretty neat, right? Pretty neat to know something that specific from that long ago. Okay, so that's why I personally think Philae Temple is so historically significant and worth a visit if you have the extra time or if you return to Egypt and spend time in Aswan. I wouldn't really say that that's enough reason to go out of your way on a first trip to go there just for that. The thing is, other than that, Philae is just another ancient temple. And as I've mentioned, it's a smaller one too. And as I've mentioned before, it's easy to get templed out in southern Egypt with all of the much older and greater and grander temples that you really should be seeing on a first trip to Egypt. So unless you're there for at least, you know, two weeks or more, I would say Philae for another trip so you don't get templed out and so that you don't lose the ability to enjoy and be awed by the much bigger and grander ones that you need to see on a first trip to Egypt. All right, so one of the things that I want to try to do a little more in 2021, which is when I'm recording this episode, February 2021, is try to make them a little bit shorter, a little bit more digestible, a little bit more consumable. So I'll try to not have the long hour, hour and 20 minute episodes I think I've had at some points in the past. I'll try to keep them, you know, under about a half an hour, so a little bit easier to consume. So I'm going to have to split this one into two parts because there is a lot to talk about that you can see on a second or third trip to Egypt that you usually just don't have time for on a first trip to Egypt. You know, as I've always said, there's so much to see and do and experience in Egypt within its borders without even leaving the country. And, you know, I could talk for an entire episode and not even cover half of this stuff that you need to see on a subsequent trip or a third trip. I could, who knows, maybe I'll have to do three episodes on this one topic. And of course, even in doing this, I left off all of the must-see stuff for a first trip to Egypt. I've done entire episodes on each one of those in the past. I'll probably actually start updating those episodes as well, just talk a little bit more about some of the sites. The logistics are changing a little bit. You know, they're, they're doing some new construction on roads and entrances out at the Pyramids Complex in Giza. It'll be a little bit different logistically when the Grand Egyptian Museum opens because they're hopefully going to be doing a walkway from that over to the, the Giza Pyramids compound. There's some stuff that's actually changed in Luxor since I recorded, I think, two years ago, two or three years ago. I don't know. The episode on Luxor, on Karnak, on Luxor Temple and things like that. As you can imagine, I mean, these temples have been there for thousands of years. The pyramids have been there for thousands of years. Not much changes. I mean, most of this content is evergreen. And, you know, especially when it comes to the history and, and you know, the, the, the basics of the logistics, which is what I like to really get into and giving advice on that at the sites. However, over the years, some things do change. Like I said, the opening of the gym is going to be a huge thing, and the and the, the infrastructure they're building around that out at Giza is going to change the logistics a little bit. And then that discovery um, they had at the Avenue of the Sphinxes between Luxor Temple and Karnak Temple, now that they've raised all those buildings and they've opened that up. you know, So, so there have been some changes over the past couple of years that do warrant or merit episode updates on some of the classic staple sites in Egypt. So so expect me to be doing more than those, more of those in 2021. 
Also, another update, I have started hiring an audio editor to help with the podcast editing. You, you wouldn't believe all of the, uh, well, maybe you would if you know audio editing, but I, I wouldn't have believed how much work goes into editing the sound when you do a podcast. I mean, you just think, or I would have thought before that doing a podcast is just basically you talk, you record it, you you know add some music to the intro and outro, and then you upload it and bam. Not quite because, you know, if you have a really good microphone, it's really sensitive and it picks up a lot of breath sounds. It picks up a lot of background noise. It picks up when my dog comes up to lick me while I'm trying to record an episode. And, you know, so you have to edit all that stuff out for good quality audio. And, you know, over the past couple of years, I've been doing all this myself. And so that's why, you know, some of the editing is kind of like, eh. But I've started actually hiring um, a professional audio editor now to do some of the editing and make the sound a little better. Get rid of some of the breath sounds, get rid of some of the background sounds, just smooth it out a little bit. And so that actually is freeing up a lot more of my time because these episodes used to, I mean, that's why I did them so infrequently. They used to take 30 minutes to an hour to record. I'd probably spend another hour or so making notes on what I wanted to talk about with respect to each subject before. So, you know, that's up to about two hours of prep work. And then it would take about one to two hours of audio editing work per 10 minutes of audio, of finished audio. So needless to say, it they, they took a lot of work and a lot of effort. I mean, it's it's a it's a labor of love and that's why I do it. And you, you all know from listening to me talk about Egypt for this long, I love doing it. I love talking about Egypt. I could do it all day long. Sometimes I do do it all day long. But um, luckily, I think getting some help this year with producing these will enable me to produce a lot more and do it a lot better and focus a lot more on putting out more, more, more content to help you all plan trips to Egypt. As always too, please feel free to reach out to me personally, you know, john at j-o-h-n, john at egypttravelblog.com is my email at the travel blog and my company, uh, my tour operator in Egypt is Egypt Elite, egyptelite.com and I'm also john, j-o-h-n, at EgyptElite.com as well. And of course, if anyone's planning trips to Egypt in 2021, 2022, best advice I can give is, you know, reach out early and reach out, uh, reach out directly to me and I'm more than happy to help you. We can put together a great detailed proposal for you and your group or your family or your friends, and we can get you set up with a lot of options and we're happy to make our staff available to you. I think you'll, if you listen to the last episode I did, you'll see that the pricing right now is really good. It's really, well, especially with us, it's a lot cheaper than with other companies and a lot higher quality just because a lot of companies in Egypt really price gouge, especially the ones that work with a lot of the foreign retailers. I've explained this before, but travel is usually sold in two parts. There's usually two parts to it. There's usually the foreign or cosmetic, if you will, seller of the travel, which is usually the company that you know and you think you're going with or booking with. And then there is the subcontracted tour operator and sometimes many different subcontractors. You even lose track of who's actually serving servicing your trip. And they're the ones actually carrying it out on the ground and, and doing your logistics and hopefully your paperwork if they're doing it all legal. We're actually a combination of both. I mean, we're, we're, we operate a tour operator on the ground in Egypt with our own staff, not with subcontracted people, with our own local staff that we've known and worked with for over a decade that we trust literally with our families. And we also operate the retail sales and marketing part of it back in the West, in the UK, in the United States, in Canada. And so we're sort of a one-stop shop where we carry 
steer you all the way through. We don't just turn you over to somebody that you didn't even know you were getting turned over to after you booked the trip, which is what pretty much every other company does. Anyway, like I said, more than happy to help anyone with planning their trips, getting pricing proposals out to you. 2021 is already, the, the high season of 2021 is gonna start about October and run through about March, April of 2022. That's actually already starting to book up. So reach out sooner rather than later if you're thinking of traveling then. Get on our calendar. We'll save slots for you. And if you're thinking of traveling later in 2022, I would even recommend, we have a lot of people reaching out now for 2022. I had a guy reach out yesterday for travel four years from now. Um, sir, if you're listening to this, uh, I haven't gotten your email yet because I just saw it today, but I was really impressed by how forward thinking you were in planning your trip four years from now for your family of 10. That's really impressive. And your email was very thorough. And uh, please expect a uh, an equally thorough response from me in the next day or two, uh, personally for me. So as you can see, people are already planning trips to Egypt. Everybody's excited to be going back there, to be able to travel again, first time, second time, third time, whatever the case may be. More than happy to help you travel. Look forward to hearing from some of you and to continuing to provide hopefully awesome, detailed, practical, logistical travel advice and recommendations for everyone else. Or if you if, if you just want to hear more about Egypt and this is another podcast you listen to to get in a little history and a little vicarious, uh, vicarious travel through listening to it, then we love you too. So anyway, look for more in part two on subsequent trips to Egypt. And with that, I will say, ma salama everyone, stay safe and we'll see you soon. 